0: Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode 7 of the Walder Sportscast. As always, I'm Chris Walder and you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. Joining me on today's show will be Jordan Hales, a video editor for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, as well as the host of the brand new Yo Sticks podcast. He was one of the first people I followed on Toronto Raptors Twitter many, many years ago, and he's edited some incredible videos over the years. So I'm really excited to talk with him and pick his brain about the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's going on in the world currently. This is... This is an ample opportunity for me to sit back and ask him some questions, learn, and and get his perspective. I I have a great deal of respect for Jordan. This is a conversation that needs to happen and one I'm looking forward to having. I've been an admirer of his work and his tweets for for many, many years. We'll also talk some Raptors basketball at the end and have a fun rapid-fire question session as per usual on this program. I'm also coming to realize that these rapid-fire segments are never actually that fast, so if anyone has a better name for that final stretch, I'm open to suggestions, so hit me up on social media if you can offer any good ideas. But in my cheap plug of the show, I have to tell you to check out my last episode when I invited the Athletics' Blake Murphy on to join me. We talked about his experience at a recent anti-black racism protest here in Toronto. We, of course, talked about the Raptors and their chances in this year's playoffs out in Orlando. And I even got to hear his Mount Rushmore of Blink-182 songs. They're one of my all-time favorite bands, so that was a lot of fun. Check it out if you haven't already had a chance to. With that being said... Jordan Hales will be with me after this short break, so keep it locked. Me now is Jordan Hales, a video editor for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, the host of the Yo Sticks podcast, and truly a Scarborough legend. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me, buddy.
1: Thank you for having me. I like the touch of the Scarborough legend. Not, not quite there yet, but shout out to Scarborough regardless. <laughs>
0: you're, you're certainly up there, buddy. You're certainly up there. Uh, but Jordan, I, I think the first thing I want to ask you, just off the top here, is with everything that's going on in the country and over in the United States. Following the murder of George Floyd by police officers in Minnesota and even here in Toronto with Regis Korchinski-Paquette, the protests that we've seen against police brutality, specifically against the black community and the outpouring of support, not universally, unfortunately, for the Black Lives Matter movement. I just want to ask you, how are you feeling at this time in terms of taking in and processing everything that's happening in the world?
1: It's been uh, quite a lot just because, you know, uh, I participated in a protest, a very peaceful protest uh, for the, like, you know, in memory of Regis and also uh, standing in solidarity with uh, all the victims of, you know, police brutality in the United States, including George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor. Um, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey was one of those, but it, that wasn't police, but it was still he was still victimized by um you know, of racialized violence. And um, it's been a lot to take in just because I've been online, like a lot. I've just been like ingesting information, signing petitions, donating, just doing whatever I can to spread awareness and, you know, just like kind of get the word out. And at the same time, like, you know, taking in all of these uh, work meetings and just talking about like, you know, the black experience and just, having like more discussions with people like more openly and just kind of seeing like a a, a gradual shift in uh, what hopefully will remain consistent maybe in a month, but obviously some of that talk has died down, but a lot of the protests are still going on. Maybe not as prevalent in Canada, although I know that they are still happening in Canada and they are happening in the United States as well. So it's, it's essentially, this is an ongoing battle. And for those people who, you know, uh, participated in the, um, in the Blackout Tuesday and to show, you know, allyship and solidarity and to allow them to reflect on themselves in order to get more information on how to help and really to start to shift um, inwards into unlearning some of their behaviors and their biases, uh, which inhibited them from, you know, having Uh, good relationships with black people in general, or just people outside the race. And I feel like that's what's been happening. I just hope that it remains consistent, but like, you know, this is not something that's new. Uh, It's just different because there's nothing to distract the majority of people from what's happening. And so it's in their faces and people are being called out for it and people are being held accountable. And I think that's the best thing going forward. Like I said, I just hope that it remains consistent.
0: And you and I, you and I were talking prior to recording this podcast about one of the protesting in in Toronto recently, and you said you yourself attended. What was that experience like for you?
1: Uh, It was a great experience. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not the first protest that I have been involved with. I've been to uh, many Black Lives Matter um, protests in the city since since um, um, Michael Brown Jr. was murdered in. in ferguson so i've attended a uh, quite a bunch um this one was the biggest one that i've uh been part of so i was happy about the turnout the, the turnout and i was uh, just really impressed with the fact that everyone keep kept it peaceful um we did manage to divert from the original route just because there were you know hostile people who were waiting at Queen's Park, waiting to disrupt something. So I'm glad that right. we diverted and just went to the um to the police headquarters and everything was peaceful and, you know, the, the message was pretty much well received. And I know that there was another protest the following that um, you know, I didn't participate in, but just like, you know, just seeing still still, you know, people who are like, you know, being out there and get getting the word across, showing solidarity. That was great. And it was great to participate in that. And it's just important to me that I march with, like, you know, the people, even if it was 10 people or if it was 10,000, I still would have showed up just because it's something that means a lot to me because of the, you know, the shared black experience or it. Like, you know, it's not monolithic. We all have different experiences, but when something like this happens, when police brutality or racialized violence happens to us, it is, uh, it, it ripples all over the place because we just know that, you know, it could have been one of us anywhere. You know,
0: what what goes through your mind when you when you hear on the news or, or you see tweets or any posts on social media that use the hashtag all lives matter? Because just from my own perspective, I feel like it's extremely counterproductive to what the Black Lives Matter movement is trying to get across. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that issue.
1: When it comes to um ALM, uh it has. It's been something that I've been like, you know, constantly ignoring just because when it first started, like when it started out, you know, back in 2013, 2014, when Black Lives Matter was getting off the ground and then you started seeing All Lives Matter and then, you know, Blue Lives Matter and stuff like that, I was just like, that's when I was more mad about it and like trying to over explain and trying to be like, no, this is what it is. Nobody said that it has any that has anything to do with like, you know, your life not mattering. It's just like this is what the problem is. We want to address it. So it's just like, can you help us address this issue before we get to yours? Because this one has been going on for a very long time. And it's not to say that we're not ignoring yours. We just really care about ours. And right. we just want ours ours to be corrected. And um so I stopped arguing with people who say that. If they come into my mention I just block them or it's on my time, I'll just block it. Like, that's really just how I protect my peace because really when you when you think about, you know, overall the, the Black experience and just how everything seems to be a plight when navigating through, you know, Westernized society, North whether it's North American, European, Asian, like, you know, some parts of Africa, South America, Central America, the Caribbean, it's just like, it's a lot to handle and there's a lot of pain and, if we truly didn't have the outlets to give us our peace, we'd be mad all the time. So it's just like when you see tweets that have the hashtag all lives matter or blue lives matter, all this other stuff trying to just denounce, um, you know, the rallying cry that is just signaling for a change when it comes to anti-racist ways, it's just like, I have to protect my peace. Like we have to like, There has to be a fine line or else we're just going to be fighting all day, every day. And then we won't have time for building up ourselves. You know what I mean? So that's that's really why, you know, I just block it out these days. I I recently
0: watched this video uh, online. It was entitled Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And Emmanuel Acho invited Matthew McConaughey, uh, the actor, onto the program. And Mm -hmm. Matthew mostly listened because, you know, that's what he should be doing. But mm-hmm. there was one question that really stood out to me that he asked, and it was, how someone like me, how can I do better as a human? How can I do better as a man? How can I do better as a white man? And I sit here, Jordan, and I ask that question to you.
1: That's a very good question. Um, but really what it comes down to is listening is a big thing that you have to do because far often. Um, too much that black people don't feel like we've been heard. And it's just tiresome to keep explaining, explaining over and over again what the issue is. And then people kind of dismissing that and chalking it up to, well, it's this, or, well, it's this, or you're not doing this, or maybe you should do more of this or less of this. I'm just like, no, this is what it is. And you're not listening. So then that anger, and that frustration builds up and then that's why you see riots because listen, people have been peaceful. People have been asking politely. People have been calling their senators or they've been writing their petitions long before all of it seemed trendy. So people have right. been doing the, the legwork, but people are, haven't been listening. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is just like for you to be a better white man, you have to go to your white community and... You have to do a whole bunch of unlearning. First, you have to do it individually, but then you have to do it collectively. Because whether you like it or not, like you guys are like the the shining star of civilization and society just because of historical, you know, context. You know what I mean? Right. And for you for what you can do to like kind of give back to that, it's just say, like, look unlearn your biases and use your privilege, use your influence to enable action so that other people can have equal opportunity and fairness. You know what I'm saying? We're not saying give us your job because you owe us your job. We're saying like, no, you owe us enough to human decency. Like that's really all we're asking, like human decency and fairness. And so that you know, it, it can we can live in a just society. Like that's why when you know you're seeing this whole thing um, when people are calling for defunding the police, it's just like yeah, we're not saying to like some people are saying yes to abolish the whole thing. And I do believe that in in you know in respect to um, having alternatives like mental health workers, social workers, people who actually do the things in which a lot of people have issues with. Yeah, absolutely. You don't necessarily need. The police, because when you think of police, they pretty much incite violence and they instigate a lot. And it's just like, you know what? There's there's always been a trust issue with police and marginalized and racialized people. So it's just like, you know what? Why don't you eliminate that entity and then just have a healthier replacement in order for things to be a little bit more peaceful so that people don't feel what? Riled up, you know what I mean, and feel like very agitated, and then act out just because of paranoia and suspicion, and so it comes down to utilizing your influence and listening to the people who have been. It's like begging at this point, you know what I mean? Like no, no one's gonna come out in the midst and say like, no, we're begging you for your help. We're just like, yo, we're asking, just asking for your help. But it's just like if you're not listening, then we're going to break some stuff. You know what I'm saying? Some stuff right. is going to catch on fire and then you're going to listen. Then you're going to panic and then you're going to want to backpedal and send out all these PR messages and be like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're going to act, We're gonna listen. We're going to change that. I'm just like, why does it have to take those extremes, those extremes of emotions in order for you to listen? If you just yes. did the thing that you're asking you to do in the first place, then we would have avoided many more things from happening.
0: No, you're absolutely right, Jordan. And, I respect your honesty and those words were extremely powerful and they resonate with me and hopefully everyone listening to this podcast. Uh short you were also you were recently a guest on the Raptors Over Everything podcast with William Lou and for anyone who hasn't given that episode a listen, I strongly recommend that you do so. Uh, one of the main topics of discussion was the lack of diversity in in media right now and it made me think of my own experiences working in newsrooms and conversations I've had with colleagues about the lack of black representation, whether it be with writers and, or, or editors that we had on our staff. From your own experiences, Jordan, from going through school to working in the industry as a video editor, what are some observations you've made about the classrooms or workplaces that you've been in and any lack of diversity you may be seeing?
1: Uh, the one commonality is just like, you know, there've never been more than two black people in the room especially when it comes to post-production specifically because I know that there are Black people in production not nearly as much but at the same time everywhere where I've been I can only confidently say that including my current employer Mm -hmm. three places in general and, and one of those places I was there for two years but I was still the only Black editor they had other editors of, like, you know, uh, different races. Not a whole lot, but they still existed. Um, another place that I worked at, uh, they had a black assistant editor, and I was there as a junior editor, so that was the first time, really, that two black editors in and around the same age were at the same spot that I had witnessed. And okay. i have been in this industry since uh, 2013, and even in school, it's just, like, when you really notice, like, who has actually had uh, more than three interactions with Black people in their lives, like, it's really it's really telling just based on, like, you know, the questions they ask. Or when you bring up diversity or race, they kind of just, like, kind of get defensive because they don't understand what you're talking about. Um, and I, everywhere that I've been at, I've made it a point to really talk about diversity and talk about, like, you know, how... Uh their workplaces can be more inclusive, and they say like, "Well, you know you know they're maybe they, they they're just not applying that's why I'm just like, right. well what can, wouldn't you like to know why that is and that's the thing like it's very dismissive, and they just like to be like, You know what well, we do our best like we put feelers out there well I'm just saying like, but you don't though because when you look at the field of you know whether it's production whether it's digital media, whether it's, like, you know, newsprint, whatever, the, a lot of nepotism in these industries where it's just, like, you know, it's literally, like, you know, who you know, you know what I'm saying? Just mm-hmm. like, all right, there's going to be favoritism here. And then it's just like, oh, okay, like, my cousin went to this school and then, like, you know, their brother went here. So I am like, oh, okay, so you know your friend and your friend's daughter or your friend's cousin. Just like, there's always that. So then when it comes to black and indigenous people or, and other people of color to get their feet in the door It's just like we, there, there's no room we're, we're competing with each other just to get in the room you know what i'm saying and it's just like not enough um heads of production companies or media outlets or even large corporations care enough to change the landscape of their work environment so that it is more diverse and inclusive, you know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. it really starts with that. Once the people at the top start caring about what the makeup is of their staff and the content that they're putting out and who's either in front of the screen or who's behind the screen, it's just like, listen, once you start caring, then you'll actually start to put in the work. And that's what you're starting to see now, whether it's performative or just because it's reactive. But the thing is, if it's reactive, hopefully it leads to you being proactive because we don't want to keep coming back to this every year, every two years, hell, every maybe even every six months. You know what I mean? It's just like, listen if we if we're at the world's attention right now if this is going on globally all these protests and there are issues in every field of work when it pertains to black professionals whether it's medical whether it's in athletics whether it's in media whether it's in the kitchen whatever it is i'm seeing a lot of black professionals saying the same things so obviously right. there is a big problem and people need to listen and people need to look at their hiring practices they need to unlearn their uh unconscious or subconscious biases and that's how they'll be able to effectively effectively start to initiate change in which we can see in a year two three ten years from now like you know that's 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 just get the the snowball rolling you know what i mean and my experience is it's just been the same old same old uh from 2013 to 2020. Like I can count on one hand, how many black editors I've worked with, but Mm -hmm. over the course of the past week, I've been in communication with other black editors that exist. And I've had people tell me in my face that, you know, black editors are not really out there because they're not, they're not applying for the jobs. I'm just like, well, you're not making room for accessibility for people who want to get in the door because you're already giving out these positions before they're even made available. So it's just like, what is it? You have to like really look at yourself and uh, analyze where your priorities are when it comes to truly caring about diversity and, and inclusivity.
0: Well, that response kind of falls in line with my next question here, which is, If you did have the opportunity to sit down with some of these major Toronto sports outlets, whether it be an editor-in-chief or whoever may be in charge, regardless of the field, what are some recommendations or suggestions or thoughts that you would toss their way to any lack of diversity that they may have to improve their situations?
1: My first thing would be stop asking Black people to get other black people in the door because Mm -hmm. racism is not our problem. It is a white problem. You know what I'm saying? We are victims of it and we should not be the ones to teach you how to not be racist. You can ask questions, but there's also resources everywhere. There's always been resources everywhere. You just have to be proactive enough and take the initiative And have some integrity to go and look for it, teach yourself, learn something new, and then teach the people in your community, in your social circles. That's really at the base level. But what you have to do is look at your hiring practices. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need to eliminate all forms of, like, you know, bias. And you have to, like, if if you have to do certain techniques, like eliminating like, you know, whether like, you know, uh, their address is on a resume or something like that, just because, Mm -hmm. you know, people do a check like, oh, this person lives in this area, this person lives in this area, or wait, this person's name or or this person's name or even somebody on LinkedIn or whatever. But it's just like, you have to strip down and unlearn your biases. And so that you can come in with total objectivity and just be open-minded. And just believe that there are people who can do the things that the people in those buildings can do that do not look like the majority of the people who are in those buildings. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, just make it available for people. Think outwardly. And if you want to change externally, you need to change internally. You know what I mean? Just like, be more open with it and just allow for more opportunity and it has to be fair and really at the base level just asking for equality. We're not asking for special treatment, it's just equality to be treated like humans, decent, like decently and respectfully, that's it.
0: And I hope companies and brands do take those words to heart because I used to work for a sports outlet in downtown Toronto and it was a talking point amongst the writers that there was only one other black writer Amongst us, and that bothered us, and that can't happen. And I hope that I hope that someone with a position of power does take your words to heart, Jordan. I really appreciate that. um earlier, you you mentioned the Blackout Tuesday initiative, and we recently saw across social media where accounts and brands were were posting black images. what What were your thoughts on the Blackout Tuesday and even some of those public statements that these major companies are putting out because it almost feels like, it was the bare minimum of what needs to be
1: done by them. That's exactly what it was. It was the bare minimum because if you're just gonna put out a black post and just have some, like, you know, uh, thoughts and prayers, inspired texts that say that we stand with black people, we love black people, we would be nothing without black people. I'm just like, okay, but what are you doing to educate yourself or your staff? Or what are you doing internally to ensure that you're going to make effective change? No one is saying like, yes, donations are great. You know what I'm saying? Donations yes. are great. Contributing to causes are great. Um, you know, uh, shouting down, you know, white supremacy and, you know, talking about slavery and all this other stuff, that's great. But what is the makeup of your staff? How are you going to change that? How are you going to change yourself internally so that... People can respect you going forward as you know a company that truly sees diversity and inclusivity and and equality and just like just blatant respect for people, respect for black people, and you know some of it was just like you know it was just tired, performative. It's just like okay, you're just doing this just to do it. Um, some companies have been better than others in terms of like you know. Uh, having actions behind, you know, their words and say, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at like, you know, the way we train, the way we hire, um, we're going to like, you know, dedicate, um, you know, a certain percentage to ensuring that, you know, that's going to be, uh, the makeup of like, you know, racialized people, marginalized people within mm-hmm. our organization that is taking, you know, the measures in order to, you know, make effective change. And that's, pretty much where it's at. It's just like, look, either you're going to open up your purse or you're going to open up your doors to these people um, that have, that deserve the opportunities. You know what I'm saying? It's not, yeah. it's just like they need them or whatever. I'm just like, they deserve these opportunities because they are very talented. It is exhausting trying to play this game, trying to tiptoe, you know, uh, the, this white society as a black person and, and, just have to feel like you always have to be on your best behavior. You can't express any emotion. You can't rub people the wrong way because we know, like, if you're a standout in a white industry, one person doesn't like you, that word can circulate. You may not have a job again. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So we know, like, you know, how to navigate, how to code switch. And we constantly walking on eggshells and it's uncomfortable. But it's just like, it shouldn't have to be that way because there should be fairness for all. Black people should be comfortable in the spaces in which they work and you know if they take pride in the things that they do they shouldn't feel like they're they're being micromanaged or you're only coming to them when it's like you know black history month or it's a black related piece or anything black just like we can do so many things so stop treating us like we're a niche thing we are amazing people and i just wish that y'all could see that (laughs) i'm sure that you'll do because you'll watch us on tv Uh, Whether it's like, you know, to be entertained uh, through sports or through other forms of uh, entertainment uh, mediums, Um, you listen to us in music, Um, you know, we influence uh, the way a lot of people dress and how they speak. So just like you love black culture, just love black people, too. That's really what it is.
0: And I, I asked this question on a recent episode with Blake Murphy, who covers the Toronto Raptors for the Athletic. He was recently on with me, and it was about basketball writers covering the sport during this Black Lives Matter movement. Jordan, mm-hmm. do you do you feel that there's an added responsibility on basketball writers in particular across the country to use their platform? To take a stand on these issues currently plaguing the black community when their livelihood comes off of writing or discussing a predominantly black
1: sport? 100%. Yes. Because they have that access and they have the privilege of, you know, being the spokespeople for these athletes and write, and creating these narratives and writing these stories. I'm just like, listen, if you're not going to amplify Black voices within your own industry, you have to at least give back in some way. You need to show up in some way just because, yeah, this is your livelihood. The NBA is 70 to 75% Black. So it's just like without Black people, you do not have a salary. So it's just like, when Black issues happen and you're quiet, we question your integrity, we question your character. I'm just like, wait a second. Me as an athlete, just like you're, you're, you're making money off of me just because you need to speak to me. You need to report on every single game that I play. Or if I have a great game, if I have a bad game, your your microphone is all up in my face. You can do all of that. You can feel free to do all of that because that is what you worked hard for and you Scratch and clawed and you made your way through the industry, that's fantastic. But when someone who looks like me, who isn't an athlete, is gunned down in the street by police and you're silent on that, but you still want to ask me like these questions about like, you know, how does it make me feel and whatnot. but like, what are you doing?
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: what are you doing about it? And even you, when you look at writers, it's like, okay, are other writers even championing black writers? Because I know that Black writers exist. I'm all up on Twitter. I know that Black, black everything exists. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And it's just like, are you like, you know, uh, for leading the change in your own industry? Are you talking to your other in chief? Like, you know what? There's a lot of us here and a lot of us shouldn't be here. Or you know what? We should be here, but other voices should be here too. How can we make that change? You know what I'm saying? And it's just like utilizing that access and that privilege to challenge, you know, the people that hired you, the people who pay you and just be like, you can make that change because, shoot, they'll listen to you before they listen to me. So having that access and having that platform, it is imperative that they, you know, stand up and be a voice for the people who wish they could be in that room. but they can also influence so much change. And for them to remain mute on that, this is like, we don't rate that, you know what I mean? Right.
0: And just, it's it's hard to segue off such an important topic, but mm-hmm. Jordan, I, I recently had a chance to check out episode two of the YoSticks podcast and you had Martika Gregory on with you. And I was surprised because to see him what was essentially your very first episode, you released a trailer beforehand, but this was like technically your first show. And how Mm -hmm. deep and personal you got right out of the gate, you know, you were discussing your separation and Mm -hmm. and therapy and how difficult a year 2019 was for you. Mm -hmm. Recording that podcast, was it a cathartic experience for you in being able to talk so freely about your life? And is that something that we can expect more from from you moving forward?
1: Thank you for asking, first of all, like, I I really appreciate that you listened to it with uh, such a... Great depth in detail. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, shout out to Martika because Martika is like, you know, one of my best friends. Uh, She's someone who I've just grown with expeditiously. You know what I mean? Like, it's just been, it's just been crazy just to see from like where we were at, where I was at in December and like, you know, with her just being a, a constant stream of support, you know, for me to get to this point, where I'm able to talk about that freely, you know what I mean, and that was a combination of her being an outlet and therapy. Therapy helped me so much. Obviously, you know, moving to my own space and you know having like you know uh, my possessions and stuff like that, things that mean a lot to me, uh, that also helped. And I wanted I I wanted Yo sticks to be something that was more personal and away from what would have been expected of me like you know it's talking about culture stuff like you know maybe it's sports because people know me for like you know always talking about the raptors or people just know me for always having an opinion on things like movies or like you know music or what's going on pop culture but I'm just like listen my ear is not to pop culture like that and I've gone through a very transformative period in my life where I've rediscovered my voice so I'm just like you know what this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to connect with people who I've known for some years or maybe it's a new connection, but we just vibe really well. And I want it to be, you know, personal and I want it to be, you know, vulnerable at times, like, you know, with respects to what the other person is willing to go into. But I just want it to be like, you know, healthy dialogue and dive into different subjects that, you know, me as a black man and just like, you know, being representative of other black men, we're not really vulnerable like that, you know what I mean? Like, we don't allow people in just because the world sees us as these, you know, um, intimidating, hulking, like, you know, have to be stone-cold stone face uh, all the time. You have to be hardened, you have to, you know, just, not allowed to really express that vulnerability or you know what they're not encouraged to express that vulnerability just because they don't want to appear weak just because the world has just beaten down on them for so long and continues to you know what i'm saying like we can literally be jogging playing with a toy gun reaching for a wallet just simply going uh down the street getting skittles wearing a hoodie and we don't make it home so it's just like we always we're always on edge, you know what I mean? And I wanted to create a safe space uh, because, like, you know, my home is a safe space and I love speaking. Um, Writing is one thing that that I have done, but I just feel like speaking out and talking to people and what this pandemic has, like, you know, how it's been a blessing in disguise, like, I've been able to reconnect with people and having the time to speak to people for hours on end that I would, sorry... Having the time to speak to people for hours on end that I wouldn't have the opportunity to do so if everything was quote unquote normal, you know, I'll go to my nine to five, come home, unwind, eat food. By the time that's done, it's about eight o'clock. When do I have three, four hours in a day to speak to people? You know what I mean? Whereas I have about like twelve that I can just like you know be on the phone, and just like hey, what's going on? How you doing? This time that they're it's just like really reconnecting and just getting personal with people. There are people I've met in, like, March who I feel like I've known for a year just because of, you know, the amount of time that you can just spend talking to somebody and just really getting to know them without, like, you know, really seeing them in person. And it's a beautiful thing. And what I want Yo Sticks to really escalate to is just, like, you know, treat it like... uh, like uh, a Larry King live for Oprah Winfrey, or you can just come on and just be vulnerable, tell personal sure. stories or something like that. And that's really, that's really what it is. I, n- I never anticipated that I would do it. Shout out to, shout out to my great friend, Tony, for, you know, having the, giving me the push to like really do it, you know what I mean? And uh, I- I'm just happy that I was able to find, rediscover my voice this year in a, in a, greater, in a greater manner just because of like everything that's happened. So I just, I feel so refreshed and light.
0: So would you say then that you're in a, in a happier place, in a, in a better state of mind, you know, not only, you know, doing the therapy, but being able to record these podcasts and with the pandemic, you know, being able to communicate more with people?
1: Oh, I, this is the happiest that I've been in years. You know what I mean? Like I, me being vulnerable is always something of a hindrance to me. And, you know, I, um, I unfortunately, like, you know, left a lot of friendships by the wayside just because of the fact that I, I didn't feel like I could open up to them because I didn't trust myself to open up to them. You know what I mean? Like, people could open up to me, no problem. I, I feel like I'm a great listener. I've been told I'm a great listener. Obviously, I can always do better. But, um, you know, people come to me with their issues, but I feel like they were hurt and they were slighted because I didn't give them that opportunity back for me to express my pain with them. And, you know, I am apologetic about that, but at the same time, there was just so much that I was dealing with on my own and I overextended myself and I made myself available for so many, so many people, but I didn't make myself available for myself. You know what I mean? Sure. And you know, when that's a lesson that I learned, like, you know, through marriage and, you know, through having a partner who really like, you know, showed me that just like, listen, like you need to prioritize yourself because you're always prioritizing other people. But when are you gonna prioritize you? You know what I mean? Because at some point you may burst at the seams or you may like kind of explode. And you know, I I might've had like an outburst or two, but it wasn't necessarily because of <clears throat> the lack of uh, being vulnerable. I know I, I wasn't being as vulnerable as I could have been. I just wasn't in that comfortable space and therapy allowed me to unlock that. So I am happy, man. Like this is like, it's, I, I still, I, obviously everybody has like their own issues. Like, you know, I I lost a family member to COVID. I almost lost two more. Thankfully I didn't. Um, Sorry to hear that. Oh, it's all good. Thank you very much. Um, but you know what, like, you know, life still goes on and I'm just happy to have this, you know, new chapter of my life and this new, um, this regrowth, this rebirth, really, because it, it was quite some time in the making. But I'm just happy to, you know, ha- just have this peace of mind where I'm able to move forward, like, you know, comfortably and uh, and happily.
0: really happy to hear that man i'm happy to hear that you're in a good place and and look i'd be hard-pressed if i didn't ask you something related to the toronto raptors during it's this okay. podcast it's okay <laughs> let's do it <laughs> Well, because you, you and i both know we're heading into this really strange period where we're thrusting 22 teams in this bubble out in orlando to close out the season and determine a champion. Jordan, have your expectations changed at all for the Raptors after this huge layoff? Because, you know, injuries aside, they were riding a four-game winning streak and building some sort of momentum prior to this shutdown. But where where do you see the Raptors heading in these coming weeks and months?
1: It's wild because I totally forgot that we were on a winning streak. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, for, I forgot a lot because, like, you know, obviously when you work for uh, – uh, a sports and entertainment company and like you know you're inundated with like you know all the stuff like Raptors related and then just working on different pieces uh, for other teams just because like you know you're just trying to find content to push out there and we've done a great the the organization done a great job of like keeping the workflow steady and um, my expectations for the Raptors have not changed just because this is like my favorite team ever and I know we won the championship last year but I think it's just like the response the hunger the underdog mentality for a defending champion that really have not seen in quite some time and I'm just like wow this is it they just impressed me just in the ways that they won and the ways that they play for each other and the way how Nick has these guys prepared like I was at the um, the Indiana game when we broke the record uh, for franchise wins in a row and okay. That, that was an insane game. Like, that finish, it was just, like, to see the fight in those guys and for them to push that to 15 in a row, Brooklyn, whatever, no. we were tired. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we were tired. So whatever whatever Spencer Dinwiddie wants to uh, get, a, get out of there with his uh, stream of consciousness these days, just remember no. that, you know, we are the better team. It's fine. Um, <laughs> my expectations haven't changed, and, you know, coming back healthy and rested because we didn't even have a healthy team and we still ended up with the third best record in the NBA thus far. So I'm just like, I am so proud of this team. No matter where we end up, I'm proud of this team and how they responded because everyone was saying like, oh, you know, the famous Jason McIntyre quote, back in the lottery, back to the basement. Oh boy, I know
0: that quote all too well.
1: (laughs) Oh, of course, of course. I feel like that's just like, up there with like you know bucks and six which we turned into rafts and six Mm -hmm. and you know it's just it's just fantastic it's just fantastic to like you know see people eat crow and um you know because raptors fans were petty like people have been hating like not even hating on us but they've just been teasing us mocking us like just throwing everything at us for 24 years it's like you know, Barney called baby dinosaurs and all this other stuff. And then Bosch left. That was crazy. And then people were just like DeRozan? we're like the Frozen. And like it was just like all these things. And then when Kawhi came, was just like, oh, but he's hurt. Razor's not gonna do nothing. It's Giannis's it's Giannis's conference. It's Embiid's conference. Then we beat both of them. And then we won the championship. And it's like, oh well, he's not gonna stay Okay, he didn't stay. And then next thing you know, it's just like, oh well same old Raptors. It was a fluke. They're not going to do it again. And then we just kept winning and winning and winning and winning. So it's just like, now what? Now it's just like, <laughs> if we don't win the championships, like, see? But I'm just like, no, you're still wrong. And we're still going to be petty because you still won the championship. And more of maybe your team didn't. So it's fine. We, we still have this ring. It's, it's very recent. And we're still going to be the longest single season defending champion ever, just based on calendar days. So it's fine. It's fine.
0: Well, Raptors fans and Raptors Twitter, you know, it smells like smoke because we've been through fire. We've been through the ringer. We've seen the lowest of lows when it comes to this franchise. And you know
1: what, buddy? They can never
0: take that championship banner away from us.
1: Never, never. I, listen, I watched the Valentine's Day game when Jeremy Lin hit the game winner over Jose. I unplugged, I unplugged my cable box and I did not watch (laughs) a game for a week that's how mad I was. I'm not playing. So I don't when I see you. that this championship hits different, it's different. You guys weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> Word we're to Darren. Shout out to Darren.
0: <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't see how ugly it got for us. So, yeah, to, to see that banner hoisted at Scotiabank Arena, it, it was a moment that we'll never forget. Uh, Vic, oh, Jor- God, Jordan, was, Jordan uh, was... we're drawing cl- to a close here, buddy. But uh, before I let you go, I would just like to ask you some fun, rapid-fire questions, if that's all right with you.
1: Oh, that's perfectly all right with me. Let's do it.
0: So as I said earlier, you are a Scarborough legend, my friend, and I myself was born and raised in Scarborough. Shout out to Orton Park.
1: Hey. Hey,
0: Orton Park, I love it. Uh, home away from home. But for those listeners out there who have never been to Scarborough, what are just a few hotspots or places to eat that every outsider who visits needs to check out?
1: Oh my Lord, okay. Um, just because it's just a staple, you need to go to Markham Station. Yes. Uh, shout out to Markham Nelson, Really already know what it is. Uh, you need to go to Johnny's Burgers, uh, Okay. sure um anywhere between warden and pharmacy on lawrence there is so much food there middle eastern uh european whatever there's so much food there you need to go get food in that little strip um wow you need to go to warden station to get a patty oh, get a patty the, yes i've done that, that in the past that is the best patty to get in all the subway stations in Toronto, and I will fight anyone on that. It's fine.
0: (laughs) I I haven't, myself, I haven't been to Markham Station in years because I remember the last time I was there, I got sick, but it was really early in the morning. So I don't know if they had their A-team out, but I need to get back to Markham Station at some point.
1: Hey man, listen, uh, Markham Station has its own reputation, but listen, if you know, you know but you still just gotta check it out just because this is what it is. It's fine, it's a Scarborough staple and you you can't go wrong, period.
0: Jordan, I ask everyone this, especially during this pandemic when, when free time has opened up for most people, what are some shows that you find yourself binge watching or at the very least you're extremely invested in?
1: That's a really good question because I really haven't been binge-watching a lot. The last thing that I really binge-watched, obviously, was The Last Dance. I watched every single episode, and then I watched it three more times. So, there's that. Uh, Ozark, I watched as well, Season 3, when it when it came out. Um, but also, um, you know, I, I did start watching Insecure. I gotta get back into that. I haven't really been watching a whole lot just because I've just been you know, just uh, engaging in, you know, just talking to people and whatnot. I did a couple of puzzles. i been doing at home workouts. So it's really just <laughs> been like, it's spending my energy that way. So that's really what's been, uh, what I've been prioritizing.
0: Do you feel like when you hit a certain age, puzzles become more fun for you?
1: Thing is, this like uh, this is the first time I was really like actively doing puzzles since like I was a kid, and I enjoyed doing it because of my mom. And okay. when you when I was raised an only child, so like you know just having that solitude and just having the patience to, you know, do these puzzles or 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 Lego uh, puzzles, like building all these Lego sets or reading and stuff like that. It's just like I'm used to that isolation, um, so. It was cool to be, to be doing the puzzles. I mean, one of them took me 12 days. Uh, Van Gogh's Starry Night took me 12 days, a thousand pieces. Oh, and, then wow. another, and then another one of like, you know, Toronto landmarks took me four days. So it's just like, you know, it's just playing the game. It's finding your momentum and just like, it's very mentally stimulating and that's cool. So, you know, I'm glad that I did that. And yeah, puzzles, puzzles are dope, but I think I want to get me some Lego, some like, thousand-plus-piece Lego and just build it, and I don't know what to do with
0: it after. It it was on June 3rd, Jordan, when world-renowned actress and singer Zendaya retweeted you, and at my last check, your extremely passionate tweet about allies maintaining a consistent level of energy of support has been retweeted 86,000 times and liked 280,000 times. Jordan, what was your phone and notifications like that day with the amount of traffic that tweet was getting?
1: Honestly, thank God that I don't have notifications like turned on on my phone have, and I haven't for years. So that, thank God for that, for one. Um, yeah, like, you know, people send it to me on like Instagram. Um, when, you know, some somebody in my mentions said that, yeah, she shouted you on Instagram too. I'm just like, wait, what? She posted it to on Instagram? <laughs> I didn't know that she had 70 million followers on Instagram, I didn't even think that that too is gonna go viral that was just something that i felt in my soul like that morning you know what i mean i sent it at nine thirty in the morning and i'm just like all right tuesday's done it's wednesday i'm still black so like you know if you're here for the long haul then be here for the long haul and make sure all you bring all your friends with you um and that was basically the message of it and then at four you know four o'clock in the afternoon I, I, I get the the retweet from Zendaya, she says period. And then next thing you know, like whole bunch of period. Yes, he said <laughs> what he said. And that's on what, that's on that. So all of that was on my mind. It was great. It was great to be gassed by black women that day. It was great. I love them to death. I love my people. Um, but it, it was also heartwarming to see like, you know, like you know white people that's being very friendly just like no you know we're in this for the long haul this is something that i've been you know i i i have thought about and you know i've resonated i've looked within myself and i'm going to make a change i'm going to be dedicated to that i'm going to hold myself accountable all those messages it was amazing i was just like wow i can't look away but also i have work to do (laughs) and so (laughs) And and that was even like before Zendaya got uh, caught wind of it, but it was just it was amazing. It was awesome, and I'm glad that it resonated uh, and took off as far as went because you know people from all over the world are reaching out and like you know with their kind words, and it was it was a beautiful thing. And I do not uh, take it for granted. I'm probably gonna take that tweet, print it out, and frame it. To be honest with you, why not? Because hey man, that, that may have initiated a lot of change that I did not anticipate.
0: I'm telling you, man, you're a Scarborough legend. It's solidified. <laughs> <laughs> I need my
1: star at the Scarborough <laughs> Town Center. Then, that's what I want. I want a, uh, I want to be a star on the Scarborough Walk of Fame. That there, is what I want.
0: There's a lot of stars there at the mall, and surely there's a spot there for Jordan Hale. who's our biggest celebrity.
1: Thank you, man. Appreciate
0: it. Jordan, of all the videos you've edited for the Toronto Raptors, which one would you say you're the most proud of? And on a side note, one of my favorites is definitely The North is Spoken.
1: Yeah, The North is Spoken. That was a crazy one just because of the turnaround for that. Just because of like, you know, I'll share a story with you. Um, So it was a weekend shift that um, that it was scheduled for. And then me and uh, my great friend, Tony Francis, uh, she was a producer for it. And there were two videos that we did. One of them was like a tip off video for, I believe it was before game five, because game five was on the Monday. And Mm -hmm. that's when we were like, you know, making a video and just like, okay, this is a video that could play for the NBA champion, Toronto Raptors, like what? And then, just playing it back, like I cried when I was watching it back. I'm just like, holy crap! Like this could be real. Like this could actually happen. Like this could play and everything else. Um, so that was amazing. So it's the hijabi. The it's a I think it's a tie between the hijabi ballers piece and also the OVO Athletic Center launch piece because um, the OVO Athletic Center piece was like one of the first major. Um you know, spots that I cut while I was freelancing. I wasn't even full-time, yet, I was freelancing at MLSC. And just like you know the, the the heightened priority of it all is just like one of like the most important things that I worked on aside from like a documentary in 2015. But it's just like, wow, like this is this is legit. And like, this is real. And this is like OVO stuff, like this is like exclusive Drake footage and whatnot. I'm just Mm -hmm. like, I'm putting this together. It's like, that was, that was surreal. And then for the hijabi ballers, that was my first piece that I did when I was made full time again, shout out to Tony Francis again. You know, that's, that's my, that's, that's my, that's my homegirl, man. Like that's, that's, we're like, you know, peanut butter and jelly, Bati and Bench, whatever you want to call it. But like, that's my, that's my homegirl. Um, And. So she, she just has a great way of uh, executing her vision, you know what I'm saying? Like She's a great right. producer as much as she is a great director. And like, you know, the shots is like, all right, I want this shot, and I want this shot, and I want this shot. And this one is going to be the specific last shot. So if you want to look at, like, you know, the Dennis Rodman reference in The Last Dance, so like, click and go this way, back over, all this other stuff. That's pretty much like how she directs. And it's <laughs> great. She, she directs with intention, so it makes my cuts better and just like you know the way how we collaborate is to the point where it's just like you know what I could be doing so I could be thinking of something and she's Mm -hmm. about to say it but then I'm already doing it like we have that great chemistry with each other and I just I love the fact that you know we're able to connect and the fact that she's a black woman I think that that also speaks volumes and brings it back to like you know this is why diversity is important because I've I've never been in a position where I've been a black editor working with a black woman who is a producer in a corporate level. And I think that is just beautiful. And we need more of that because you never know the magic that you can make when people who really understand each other, and shout out to her, she's from Scarborough too. So really Scarborough just, when we just link up, we make magic, you know what I'm saying? I also, I cannot leave here without shouting out Susan Street, you know what I'm saying? Down the street from Orton Park, you know what I mean? Oh, usually we had our tensions but we killed that that's great it's cool we're all good it's it's, it's a Lawrence East strip thing you know what I mean
0: <laughs> getting a lot of Scarborough love on this podcast I'm, oh, I, love I, I love it <laughs> I love it uh, necessary uh, A fun food for thought question about sports teams these days is is Mount Rushmore's and figuring out the four players who best define that franchise. And I think Mm -hmm. with the Raptors, the obvious answer is Vince Carter, Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. So Mm -hmm. Jordan, how would you rank those four in terms of what they've accomplished in Toronto? Just your personal preference.
1: I feel like I've answered this on Twitter like 7 times, but it's fine. Um
0: <laughs> This will be the eighth then. That's fine. All right, fine.
1: Well, this is the one that's like, you know, uh on it's been recorded. My voice is on it stamped. There you uh, go. Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, Vince Carter, DeMar DeRozan.
0: That's that's the same answer I would have. Yes. It's hard it's hard to debate. And I'm I'm a big DeMar DeRozan fan, but yeah with what Kawhi leonard accomplished last year kyle yeah. lowry is the definitive number one in my opinion yep. and then vince carter with everything that you know him being the guy that put the franchise on the map mm-hmm. it's really hard to put you know Demar, who was uh, you know really loved the, the team and and being yep. here in the city but yep. uh i i definitely agree with that ranking buddy uh So I saw your Twitter today. This was big all over social media. How excited are you for the new Spider-Man Miles Morales PlayStation
1: 5 game? Oh my goodness gracious. Uh, Listen, anyone who knows me knows that I've been team Xbox my entire life. My entire life had the original Xbox. I did have PS1, but like kind of briefly, but I've been team Xbox my entire life. There's actually a Xbox 360 in my closet right now. Uh, but I saw that and I was just like, Oh my God, I need it. I need <laughs> it. I need it. It's miles Morales miles is the name of my, my Godson. So I'm just like, oh. yeah, it's a special connection. Um, but yeah, I was, I just saw that. I saw the graphics and it was also a game that was previewed like weeks back. And it's just like a a woman character who's just like flying through a toppling ancient city. And just Mm -hmm. the graphics were insane. I'm just like, this is gonna be on PlayStation 5? This looks like a movie. (laughs) I'm just like, I need it, I need it. And the thing is like uh, my great friend Delancey who's actually featured on um, a most recent episode of uh, Yo Sticks, he was just like, man, if you don't get a PlayStation, I'm gonna have to come over there and beat your ass. <laughs> so it's like I was <laughs> like, man, okay, it's coming. Like, stop, stop harassing me. Well, i was just like, yeah. I thought about getting the the Xbox One or Xbox whatever it's called these days. But I'm just like, you know what? I think I just might have to convert. It's just part of this whole new transition of who Jordan Hales is. I'm getting a PlayStation Five. It is on. The internet forever, it said my voice has spoken to the universe, I'm getting it, and that's it, final.
0: And Jordan, lastly here, what do you have to say to anyone, and I think you know who I'm talking about, who truly believes that the Toronto Raptors were the luckiest NBA champions of the last 20 years?
1: I mean, you can kiss my ring. <laughs> you know, my my Love it. Uh, My employer, you know, is very gracious to give everybody rings and, um, you know, has my last name on it. it Has uh, 2019 champions on it. it. Has a whole lot of you know not not real diamonds, but like you know diamond adjacent you know gems on it. I see every you know series number you know four one, four three, four two, four two champions with a little like you know little redstone in there. I mean. I don't know, this ring is so heavy and the banner is flowing so gracefully at 40 Bay Street, AKA Scotiabank Arena, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And it's just like, I don't know, is that a fluke? It doesn't seem like it, because I think that, you know, we beat the 76ers with the iconic shot and was a wonky back and forth series. I, I, I have to say game four was my favorite game that was in game seven. If I had to pick any any playoff game of that run, game four of the Sixers series was insane just because of the shot, before the shot. You know what I'm saying? Like that was an insane three over MP Kawhi. Love that man so much. Um, And I think, I don't know, I don't know. My memory doesn't serve me. I think that we beat the only 60 win team with the MVP and coach of the year. I don't know. I'm not sure. (laughs) I may have to confirm that. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, somebody has to fact check, research department, do what you got to do. I also think that we were down 2-0 because if not for the fact that, you know, Kyle Lowry was basically playing by himself in game one in the fourth quarter, but it's okay. Uh, And then we got blown out in game two and then people were saying it was over. People said it was over after game one though. That's what really irritated me. I'm just like, ah, come on, you can't do that. That's disrespectful. Too much. But then I think what happened was, you know, we went double overtime in game three. You know, Kawhi basically like, you know, played on one leg. Uh, Kawhi had no legs in game four and everyone came alive. Um, Fred, Frederick Edmund Van Vliet Sr. had a child, Fred Jr. And then game five, Papa Fred came to life. And then, you know, the series, is. All of a sudden, 3-2. And then we bring it back home. And it's so funny in that in every game, with the exception of game four, we were down double digits at one point. I don't know. They could have taken control of the series. You know, they could have won in five, whatever. But we were down double digits damn near every game of the series. And yet, we still won. And they went home and then we beat the Warriors. Hmm. I I just don't know. I just don't know if that's so (laughs) fluky because I'm sure, you know, injuries are part of the game and you know, I I just can't, ah, fluke, ah, I don't know. Like I said, this ring is just so heavy. I wish I was wearing it right now. It's just so heavy and the luscious banner that just floating gracefully. I can't wait to see it in person. I wish I could touch it. But it's like, no, there is no fluke. That's forever. Deal with it. Sorry about it.
0: Be honest, Jordan. How often do you wear your ring?
1: Um, <laughs> I actually wore it uh, last week when I was doing an interview. But aside from that, like, you know, I'll put it on like, you know, once a month or, you know, whenever I'm kind of feeling like it, I always look at it. I look at it every day. I just, like can't believe that it's in my possession I'm just like when I look at the full gauntlet of how like you know I've been a Raptors fan like I remember going to my first game in 2002 when we played the Miami Heat and I was sitting in the 100s with my mom for $68 okay and to go through the whole gauntlet and then just seeing like the the origins of Raptors Twitter, like shout out to Iman as well, and shout out to all the OGs that came up with us. There wasn't a lot of us, but you know, Mm -hmm. we were hated on by Americans who were just like, why are you talking about the Raptors? Shut up, nobody cares about the Raptors. I'm just like, I care about the Raptors. I don't care about you, don't (laughs) worry about that. And then the fact that like, you know, going through those painful years, and then the lowest point for me, it wasn't even Lebron took, the lowest point for me was getting swept by the Wizards. There is no pain that matched that. Yes, we were swept by Cleveland, but swept by the Wizards, that was, that hard. was painful. That was very, very painful, especially because the year before we lost to Brooklyn. And it's like, you know what? We're going to have a redemption. Then we get swept by the wi- I thought that was it. I'm just like, all right, everyone's fired. Trade everybody. That's it. Rebuild mode. We're not even talking about a championship right now, but no. So I said, you know what? Let's keep going. Let's push. Let's retool. And then, you know, 2016 well, was 2016 and it just came through and just like, listen, man, man, it's 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 been it's it's been a gauntlet. And a, like, you know, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that ring. I'm proud of that ring. So like, you know, what, you know, what, after this, I'm going to go wear it. I'm going to wear it for the rest of the night just because that's how I'm feeling now.
0: <laughs> well, Jordan, you deserve that ring, buddy, and you deserve all the success in the world. I thank you so much for your time today. It was an extremely opening conversation and a fun chat that we had. And having followed you for so many years, I'm happy we had the chance to do this. But before we sign off here, please let the listeners know where they can find you on the web.
1: Okay, so uh, you can find me on Twitter, MR underscore STI double X. I'm also on Instagram, Mr, full-on Mr, M-I-S-T-E-R, Sticks. I have a great podcast called Yo Sticks Podcast Uh, So that's on all socials as well. You can get that on Spotify, Apple, Google, um, SoundCloud. Also, like, you know, I am a video editor and, you know, sometimes I do outside projects because I'm allowed to. Uh, So that's uh, JordanHalesEditor.com. But like, yeah, man, I'm just I'm out here, man. I'm out here. I'm just doing my thing. And thank you very much for having me on your platform. I'm very happy for you and the success that you've been able to achieve for yourself. Like you've been doing this thing for a long time. I'm very happy for you. Keep going, brother.
0: Jordan, you're the best, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that was my interview with Jordan Hales. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Sticks. That's M-R underscore S-T-I double X. Just a genuine guy. I'm really happy to hear that he's doing so well. And I thank him for what was a very enlightening conversation. This, this is something I said prior to interviewing Blake Murphy recently was that I didn't want such an important subject matter to be thoroughly discussed from such a one-sided perspective, i.e. two white males. So I'm thankful for Jordan's time and him coming on and being real and honest and giving myself and hopefully you the audience a lot to think about. So like I did in my last episode, I'm going to be providing links in the description of noteworthy causes you can donate to involving the Black Lives Matter movement. I myself have made donations to Black Lives Matter Toronto, the Minnesota Freedom Fund, and the COVID-19 Black Emergency Support Fund, and I hope you do the same. This is a special week for the Walder Sportscast because there's going to be a second interview coming later this week on Thursday, June 18th. I recently had the chance to talk with Yahoo Sports Canada editor and the host of the Raptors Over Everything podcast, William Liu, Like Jordan, he's a prominent member of Raptors Twitter and arguably the most prominent, so keep your eyes peeled for that dropping in just a matter of days. Thanks again to Jordan Hales for coming on to chat with me and as always to my audio engineer Jason Lung for all of the exceptional work he does on this show. If you'd like him to work on your show or projects or have any audio questions or concerns, please hit him up on Twitter at jlung 20 This has been episode 7 of the Walder Sportscast, Please subscribe to the show, leave a rating and review, and find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, and Podbean. That's another one in the books, so I'll see you on the next episode. Thank
1: you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.